0: Hey, are you short on cash or credit to do more real estate deals? Then sign up for my upcoming five-day Capital Crunch Challenge happening this May 17th through 21st, and you can register for free at CapitalCrunchChallenge.com. You're going to come away with this with a full roadmap on exactly how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less and explode your real estate portfolio, even under today's challenging circumstances, all right? So each day is gonna be full of training, it's a full on training, and there's gonna be action assignments, there's going to be live Q&A, there's gonna be handouts, I'm gonna be recording it, keeping it up for the week, so if you can't make any of the classes live, you can always check back and check out the recording. So again, go to CapitalCrunchChallenge.com, get your spot today, let your other real estate enthusiast friends know about this, And we'll see you on May the 17th. Take care. Hey, everyone. It's Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today, zooming in all the way from lovely Dallas, Texas, we've got a Texan at heart. But as soon as he opens his mouth, you're probably going to hear he's not from Texas originally. Mr. Anton Matley.
1: Anton, how are you today? Great, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Dave. My pleasure.
0: Now, that's not a, that's not a very heavy Texas, Texas <laughs> accent I hear there, my friend. So where are you from originally?
1: Yes, definitely not. I'm originally from Switzerland, grew up in Switzerland, and then uh, right after school went to work in, in banking, and I worked in New York for five years, Tokyo for four years, Hong Kong for three years. And then I left banking directly and did my own thing for the last 15 years. And that brought me to Texas uh, roughly 15 years ago.
0: Very nice. So you guys, we're in for a real treat here because we've got not only a Swiss banker that we're, that we're talking about, we're talking with, but he's also focused on real estate. And he also really has it dialed in with commercial financing, so raising capital, for apartment buildings, that sort of thing. So, Anton, really looking forward to our conversation. And I guess the first big question that I'd like to ask you is, in your opinion, what's the biggest difference between commercial financing and normal residential financing? So, because you, you've got a ton of experience with this, so so what would you say are the biggest differences?
1: Yeah, so I would say really the massively biggest difference is that for residential financing, unless you do a big portfolio like a BlackRock and all the others, your personal credit score and income is really the most important element to it. Obviously, the appraisal needs to come back, but your personal debt to income ratio is the driver. When it comes to commercial real estate, your personal income doesn't matter. What matters is the property's income stream. So we call it generally NOI or net operating income that essentially drives how much the property is valued at as well as uh, what the so-called debt service coverage will be and that will determine the loan amount. And you still need to bring in experience. You may have to bring in financial strength and liquidity but it's still the property that essentially determines the actual loan amount,
0: yeah, all right very very cool so anton, I'm curious because this this is this is really interesting for me because you're you're a, a banking executive by profession you had a very successful career in that field, so I admire the fact that you branched out and went off on your own why don't you kind of share how that came about? Where did you kind of have the aha moment that, okay, you know, you left the the golden handcuffs of that nice, you know, cushy banker job and struck out on your own? Why did you decide to do that?
1: Yeah, so I think I always had entrepreneurial streak in me. So that kind of came kind of natural to me. Mm -hmm. But I ultimately, I think it was just the corporate structure that that you are exposed to and that you have to adhere to Mm -hmm. in a massive company is is just, uh, at some point, all that entrepreneurial elements that you want to bring to the table, even if they are great ideas, you just cannot implement them because you have so many rules to follow and all the hierarchies that you have to follow. And I just prefer to have a, a smaller environment that you can build from. And even if you become larger, at least you have much shorter decision levels to work with. And that is what I'm trying also to do with our firm, where we essentially have very short decision-making processes and where we can implement ideas very quickly from our marketing side, from our IT side, as well as from our originators. And that's really what what I like. At the same time, I always have liked commercial real estate from a personal investment perspective and financing perspective. And so it was, was kind of a natural progression.
0: So it must have been a major... I'm guessing must've been kind of a major shift for, for you going from, you know, that working in a big bank and that corporate environment to striking out on your own. What were the, you know, cause, and I'm just guessing here, I'm imagining you were dealing with huge accounts, you know, people with very, very deep pockets. Then you struck out on your own. What did those first few deals or first few years look like for you and your company? What did you start off with? when you went from the big corporate life to the self-employed life.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So I, I would say I was probably a little bit lucky that I was able to build up relationships over, over the years. And I've always fostered my, my relationships throughout my career. And with that, I was uh, would say lucky enough that I've uh, had a number of relationships of with family offices and high net worth individuals and i was able to to step in there also to advise them on their direct or alternative investments whatever you want to call it and i was able to bring in my expertise that i that i built on on the banking side and so with that it was probably a little bit easier so it was not that i just uh, had to to go and start now from scratch with with relationship building but i already had the trust with a number of clients and entities that that trusted my expertise and that's really how i started out
0: excellent so anton why don't you tell us explain to me what is peak financing what do you, what do you guys do what is what's your core business
1: yeah we are a commercial real estate mortgage broker right so we help property owners or deal sponsors whatever you want to call it with the financing with the debt piece for for their acquisition or for their refinancing so for similar to residential real estate a big chunk of the money comes from a lender right so it whether it's 60 percent all the way to 80 percent that is essentially other people's money that is is supporting that deal mm-hmm. and because that lender has such a big stake in that deal they want to be sure that the sponsor and the property and all that matches now it's very hard for a buyer and the spawn deal sponsor really know who the right lenders are for a particular project right and that's where we initially help to identify the right lenders. so we essentially are matchmakers that we recommend the proper lenders then we go out and get quotes but our real work really starts after someone applies for the loan Right. So unlike on the residential side where you when you apply for the loan, as long as your credit score checks out and your DTI works out, and then the appraisal comes in, you can close within a couple of weeks and everything is fine. Right. On the commercial side, there are a hundred plus items that a lender will look at after you apply for that loan, right? So there is no no guarantee that that loan actually comes back in for the loan amount that you originally applied for and the terms that you applied for from an interest perspective, interest only, and so on. And our job really is is to handhold that deal make sure that you get to the closing table without any hiccup and without any as we call it retrade, right? So we call it retrade when you apply for, let's say, a five million dollar loan and then the lender comes back at the last moment and says, now we only do four million, right? So that is really our our job and that's where we add most of our value.
0: So I've got a question for you, Anton, because you've been doing this for a long time. 15 years, I believe you said you're you've yes. been on your own. I would imagine that you've worked with a number of relatively new people in the space that are just kind of switching from single family homes, getting into multifamily residential or, or whatever that they're doing. What are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they're trying to line up financing for their commercial deals?
1: I would say that they do not really understand how a lender underwrites a deal compared to how a sponsor or a buyer will potentially underwrite the deal, right? So I hope that anyone who is venturing into commercial real estate gets some form of coaching. I do not say necessarily that someone needs to sign up for a coaching class, but at minimum have a mentor, right, that has it done before. Now, the problem is if you do not have a mentor and you just join, let's say, a coaching class, you may learn all the underwriting tools and all that, how how they coach you and teach you how to underwrite a deal and prepare the performer. The problem is very often that these coaches are not really teaching the difference between how you underwrite it as a buyer and how a lender underwrites a deal. And very often, they make assumptions when it comes to loans that are completely off the mark.
0: Like, and, like what, for example? What, what are the assumptions that you, you see well, all the time that drive you crazy? Yes.
1: Yeah, so as an example, they underwrite to their own pro forma collections, right? To say, "Oh, well, I can raise rents by $100 per unit. So now my... Rent income increases, so with that, my NOI increases, and as a result, my debt service coverage is 1.5 and I can easily get 80% leverage, right? right. So, right. whereas a lender says, We it's nice and dandy that you want to raise your rents, and we hope that you can do it, but we underwrite to the in place rent collections, right? So, uh, so there,
0: what I'm understanding is the real estate entrepreneur tends to be a little bit Pie in the sky, very, very, you know, forward thinking, looking at what the numbers could be. That's if right. It kind of falls into place. And what you're what you're saying is, the lender doesn't give a crap about that. What they're looking at is what the actual numbers are today.
1: That's correct. correct. Yes. I mean, there are some exceptions, like for bridge loans and all that, right? But for the for a typical cash flowing asset that the typical first buyer would acquire. That's exactly what it is, right? Uh, A lender doesn't care about what you can project. Another aspect there is also very often they look at the so-called T12, which is the profit and loss statement that is provided by the current owner. And particularly for smaller properties, it's not unusual that expenses are not fully loaded, right? So they, they, it appears that your expense ratio is only 30%. Are you, are
0: you telling me that sometimes people fib on these things? Is that what you tell over here?
1: <laughs> yeah, so it hardly happens. There
0: are decisions there, yeah. It happens yeah, all so, the time.
1: Yeah. yeah, so that's the other mistake that a lot of newbies make is that they just take whatever expenses they are and naturally, a lender again doesn't care. We adjust the expenses to how we believe if the lender had to take over that property if the if the borrower forecloses, at what expense structure we would actually have to operate the property at right And it's not even just the lender that decides that, it's really the lender appraiser that comes up with that expense pro forma from a lender perspective. So it's not like that a lender just can say, okay, I'm, I like you. I do repair and maintenance at $300 per unit, as an example. If the appraisal comes back and says it needs to be $600, that's what it's going to be, right? Yeah, so
0: <laughs> yeah, so, so what I'm hearing between the lines there, Anton, is that it's very, very cold, calculated fact based number crunching right that's what it is it's what's the reality and quite often us as the real estate entrepreneurs we're kind of you know a little too on the positive thinking side of things and not always looking at, at what the reality is and that's where the that's where the conflict comes in
1: correct yes so absolutely yes
0: yeah. yeah so what are your what are your tips for people when they're you know getting into commercial type deals, you know, you you already mentioned make sure you you know try to have a good mentor, somebody who's actually done done it before. But in addition to that, what can people do to actually really kind of prepare themselves better?
1: Yes. So I would say really talk to as many people that have done it as possible. If you can, I would recommend And if you're comfortable with it, partner up with someone who has already done it, right? Whether you syndicate or not, even if you do a joint venture or whatever it might be, the value to partner up with someone who has already done it is so significant that I would recommend even though obviously you give up maybe 50% of the GPPs or if it's a joint venture, 50% of the deal that you think is a blazing deal you will be more than happy to partner up with someone who has already done it because that individual or these individuals will, will help you to w- avoid very costly mistakes, right? It's the, the cost of mistakes in, that, in the commercial space are much higher than they are if you misjudge a flip on a residential side, right? So that's what, what I really would recommend. Yeah, no,
0: well, that's very, very wise advice. Anton, time flies when we're having a good conversation. That means we get to circle back and do this again sometime in the future. But in the meantime, if people want to find out more about you and your company and how you might be able to help them out, what should they do?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the easiest really is to just check out our website. It's peakfinancing.com. You also can find me on Facebook and on LinkedIn. I'm very active on, on both. So that's really the, the easiest way.
0: Fantastic. Now, thank you very much. Nice to meet you. And thank, for, thank you for sharing some, some good insights into getting commercial financing.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Dave.
0: My pleasure. Take care, everybody. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, And I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.